0: Welcome to the College Sports Insider, presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. So, if you follow college sports at all, I am sure that you've seen the, the focus that has been placed on the world of college basketball. Uh, some turmoil triggered some introspection, uh, and as a consequence, there have been significant changes to the landscape, and we're delighted that Dan Gavitt is with us. Dan, among other things, NCAA Senior Vice President of Basketball. Who has been somebody intimately involved with the game of college basketball? Be fair to say, almost all of his life. Um, We're delighted that Dan is joining us. Hey, Dan, nice to
1: have you here with us. Jack, great to be with you. Thanks for having me.
0: So we have a lot to talk about here, but I want to again to so that folks have a a better understanding of your role. Just ask you, give me a, a quick bio, if you would, how you got here to the NCAA.
1: Sure. Well, working backwards is probably easier. I've been here at the NCAA now for six years. Came as the vice president of men's basketball championships, essentially to help to run the Division One, Two, II, and Three men's basketball championships and the NIT, which the NCAA owns and operates. Prior to coming here, I was a associate athletic, excuse me, associate commissioner of uh, men's basketball at the Big East Conference, uh, back when the Big East was a 15-team, 16-team league, and um, before it kind of reformed in a couple of different forms and was there for six years. Prior to that, I was I was a Division II athletic director at a school called Bryant University, now a Division I school, um, and started my career almost 25 years ago as an assistant basketball coach working for Rick Barnes at Providence College, who's gone on to do great things at Clemson and Texas and now at Tennessee. A Great place for you to start, given your dad's
0: background Indeed. And, and his history yeah. at Providence. Yeah. So uh, let, let's get right away to the, these, these issues that have been Percolating around college basketball. Explain to us a little bit for folks who maybe haven't followed it that carefully. uh, The 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 genesis of this uh, this period of reflection, I think, is maybe a good way to put it. There was people might remember. Well, there was something. There was uh, there was a prosecution. There was an investigation. Uh, that got people to sit down and say, all right, we have to take a hard look at this now. Talk a little bit about that investigation and how it became
1: the springboard. Sure. It's an important thing to put in context. This was less than a year ago that all this happened. Uh, Late September, um, the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York um, broke a story of several indictments of uh, four college men's basketball assistant coaches, as well as um, executives from shoe companies and uh, those tied with agents as well um, in, in uh, multiple schemes um, around basketball, college basketball, recruitment in particular, um, which gave the game and the coaching profession quite a black eye and, and raised an awful lot of concern around the game. Um, it, as a follow-up to that, NCA President Mark Emmert um, appointed a commission chaired by Condoleezza Rice, the former Secretary of State to chair the group that was uh, quite a, a, an impressive group of people in higher education, in basketball, um, that worked for months from the early uh, week of, of, of October through late April to come up with some recommendations back to the NCAA Board of Governors and NCAA leadership to make substantive changes um, at this time really of crisis around the game and the integrity of the game. and. Um, Since that report was made public in late April, the NCA membership and NCA staff have been working on implementing, coming up with legislative change and policy change to operationalize and implement those uh, recommendations from the Rice Commission. And that's been, that's been the better part of the last, you know, year. But it's not quite yet a year. You know, it'll be... It's
0: astonishing how much has taken place. It sure because has. Because as you know, one of the criticisms have always been, and, and, and I've often tried to explain this to folks, people will criticize the NCA for not moving quickly. And I've tried to explain to people, you know, not, not being an apologist for the NCA, but just realist, the, 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 the realism of what it is, that it's 1,100 member institutions. You know, it's not something that can change course on a dime. Um, but the fact that so much has happened in the course of this year, I, I think, is in some ways fairly breathtaking. Let me come back for a second. Sure. Let's go to the investigation. Did it disclose situations or allegations that people had not suspected existed? Or was this sort of an, an, an instance where all of, uh, all of what people had suspected now came to
1: light? Probably a little bit more of the latter, unfortunately, and I think I was one of the concerns um, both publicly and internally in the NCAA about um, the game and around recruiting that there had been um, stories and kind of maybe even an acceptance at some level that um, some uh, kind of illegal uh, and certainly unethical recruiting activities had gone on in college basketball for some time. And that this was now proof by the federal government that indeed that does happen at some level, and I think what got people's attention was um, the potential level of the money involved, um, and the fact that these were, in at least in the U.S. government's uh, opinion, f- federal crimes um, that were punishable by um, jail time, and um, so it, it came, it, it rose everything to a level I think that that, um, you know, obviously raised an, an enormous amount of, of concern. Um, same time, you know, I, 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 and not in any way to diminish the the stain that this put on college basketball, but you know, personally, having been around the game, as you mentioned, for uh, the better part of 50 years now, um, I think it is probably a little bit of a difference of perception and reality. My own feeling is that it's probably the perception clearly is that most coaches and most college basketball programs operate this way, that this is indeed how the game operates. I think the reality is that it's far from the truth that there are very few that engage in these kind of significant illegal activities. Um, but nevertheless, it, it was a crisis and, and a point, of, as you said, of inflection that we needed to Act upon and try to regain the, the moral and ethical high ground for the game that um, is so healthy in so many other ways right now. But this kind of activity obviously is not something that our colleges and universities want to be associated with, uh, known for, and certainly coaches don't want to be either.
0: And I think you you made an interesting point and in, in, in a valid point when we talked about the notion of perception morphing into reality. You know, there's a, that, that expression is often used in the political world. We're saying, mm-hmm. You know, the perception becomes the reality in minds of people. And, and I think in this instance and those who understand the game and look deeply into the game uh, and care deeply about the game have all said, echoed what you said. Look, There is no belief that the entire college basketball world has been infected with this. But if anybody is, it's bad for the world. So the NCA immediately said, all right, we have to do something about this. And you talked about putting this, this commission together, uh, run by Dr. Rice. Yeah, give me a quick sense of, of what they did and, and in what period of time, uh, how they were able to come up with the recommendations that they came up with.
1: They met at a monthly basis starting in November and working through the final four at various locations around the country so as to make it convenient for the members of the commission. You know, who included Grant Hill and David Robinson and uh, Notre Dame president, uh, Father John Jenkins, and uh, Mary Sue Coleman, the former president of Michigan, and former athletic directors, uh, well, Jeremy Foley from Florida, current athletic directors, uh, Jeff Hathaway from Hofstra, and Gene Smith from Ohio State, um, and two former coaches, Mike Montgomery from Stanford and Cal and John Thompson from Georgetown. So this is a this is a very impressive group of people. Um, not to mention Marty Dempsey as well, the chairman of uh, USA Basketball. So they they engage with uh, constituents from around the game, including uh, agents and NBA Commissioner Adam Silver and and, uh, National Basketball Players Association Executive Director uh, Michelle Roberts, um, uh, Youth League coaches, um, you name it, anyone, shoe company executives um, that had uh, a stake in the game and to learn more about the the landscape and what needed to change in order to improve upon the game. And through all those interactions, those interviews and those meetings, they came up with a series of recommendations uh, really kind of widespread that everything from governance to enforcement and infractions to youth uh, development and, and the game and the recruiting calendar and um, how we recruit student athletes and came up with a really an integrated package that is meant to have, I believe, long-term impact positively on the game. And I think it's important to consider it as such that these are not kind of short-term fixes. There are no short-term fixes. If there were indeed a lot of people smarter than me and others would have come up with those short-term fixes a long time ago. This is a long-term strategy that's meant to improve upon the game in a very integrated fashion. So any one of these recommendations you may pick at or not be completely in its sin supportive, but hopefully the package together integrated and, and executed over a long period of time helps to change the culture around the game.
0: Let me take you through a list of some of these recommendations, and let's talk about what what is being done as a consequence of the commission's work. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start with the, the one that always gets the most attention, even though, as, as you and I know, it's not something that the NCAA has control over, and that's when you hear people talking about the, the one-and-done rule, mm-hmm. the notion of, all right, you know, a number of years back, the decision was made, you have to spend, you know, at least one year in college or be one year out of your high school graduating class before you can come into the NBA. Yeah. Talk about what, what the, the commission thought about that and, and why it is not an
1: NCAA rule. Yeah, well, it is a rule, as you note, that's collectively barred between the Players Association of the NBA and, and, the, and the owners of the NBA. And has been in place I think since 2006, Um, so it's been some time now. And um, the commission really believed that this was a a rule uh, that the NCAA doesn't doesn't have itself, but is you know suffers from at some level, and the game suffers from that. Um, You can take different sides of that uh, argument, but uh, the commission itself felt like from an academic perspective and from the purity of college basketball and what what college basketball is so great about, um, students playing a game they love at the highest level, some of whom are good enough to, you know, to advance to professional uh, play at some point, but that coming for one year with the explicit idea of just, Using that one year to improve upon their basketball ability and jump out to professional basketball is not in the best interest of college basketball. So, they've they've been working uh, since they started, and as as has the NCAA leadership to encourage. Um, as they can with the Players Association and the NBA to to change that rule, and the feedback that we've gotten consistently is that there's very much openness to that, and indeed it may be in the works as we speak.
0: It's interesting. I had a, a conversation with Grant Hill the mm-hmm. day that this came out in, on our podcast here, and I asked him about that, and I asked him about how he would view that that rule as a player, as opposed to now somebody who's outside of the game. And we talked about the notion that that there are a number of, of players in the NBA who um, probably would not be especially amenable to doing away with that. Um, I said to, to Grant, I said, look, if if, if I'm the, you know, 10th guy on the bench and I'm a seven-year veteran, I'm making a, a, a good salary here. My position is kind of precarious and I want to stay hang on as long as I possibly can. My guess is that player might say, I don't want some high school kids coming in to take my job because first of all, they'll be a lot cheaper than me. Um, so it'll be easy to move me out. Let's, let's make it a little bit longer before they come in. And, you know, and, and Hill said he knows that there are some players who look at it that way. But his hope, as he expressed it, was that for the, a, a bigger picture, that the NBA and the NBA Players Association might look at, at it differently. Is there any indication as to a time frame when, if in fact they're going to change that rule, when it might get changed?
1: Yeah, I think the hope is that they, the decision to change the rule may come here in the coming months, um, if not you know year. However, the implementation of the change is likely to be a few years away. Um, what we're hearing is that the owners are open to this idea for sure. However, there have been a number of draft picks that have been traded in the last few years that are encumbered that have future draft uh, selections uh, in in play at maybe as late as 2021. Um, and in the perfect world, they would not like to implement this change until all those draft picks are are utilized in the current system uh, because of the value of draft picks. So I, we're hearing that that if and when it happens, it's likely to be for the 2022 draft.
0: One of the other areas that,
1: that garnered a lot of attention
0: was this notion of, of what summertime has become for high school basketball players. Um, you and I are growing up, you know, you're a basketball player. I'm a, a college football player, but a high school basketball player, and, and we used to play all summer long. You know, there were, there were parks where you know you could get there and you can get a good run in. And, and you know, the, all, you, you know the, the, the legends would show up to play. It was part of the development of, of a high school basketball player. Um, now you go past, those parks are completely empty and deserted because high school basketball has become a, a function almost entirely of, of the summer tournaments, the AAU, mm-hmm. the traveling teams. How did the commission look at that, and what thoughts did they have about some possible changes to that part of the landscape?
1: Well, they had uh, significant concerns, and you can see it kind of woven throughout all of their recommendations of the influence of third parties um, in, in the recruitment process and in decision-making by young prospects, college decision making probe pro-decision-making. Pro- not family members, particularly, certainly not parents, um, not, not educators, um, but other, uh, other influences. Um, grassroots coaches who may have their own uh, agendas in mind. Um, shoe companies potentially, or, or programs, agents that you know, have their own profitability in, uh, in mind. And so they tried to make change, recommend change that would mitigate the influence of third-party influence on that decision-making process. That's a really challenging thing to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Not sure it's possible ultimately um, completely. Because that
0: culture is now so embedded. Exactly. It, it, it is what it is. I, I know I've talked to high school coaches saying, look, I don't, I, we don't have any control. We don't even see them in the summer anymore. We used to have high school leagues that yeah. you'd have your team playing in and you could coach them and help develop them. And, and the ones that I've talked to have said, that's gone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a recognition that much of it is gone, but there's also a hope that some of it can come back, Mm -hmm. some of it. You know, um, not all grassroots programs and and, uh, coaches are are bad. Mm -hmm. Far from it. I mean, there are are a lot of those programs that help kids to develop, to give them resources, to be exposed, to play at the highest level when those families don't have the resources to provide for that. Um, So it's not all bad, but when perverted... It, it can be very bad and, and can be very self-serving. And so the hope is um, a couple things. One, to get the high school coaches back involved with the recruitment process a little bit. High school coaches, by and large, are still educators. They have to be you know, vetted and, and hired through a, through a state association. And so we've, uh, the commission has, has put in place two scholastic weekend opportunities for evaluation of high school, high school players playing with their high school teams in the month of June. That would take the place of of them playing with their grassroots teams, for example, for at least a couple weekends, Um, and 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 then this this idea of an NCA youth development camp that will happen at the end of July. The NCA will fund will fund uh, for rising high school seniors as well as rising high school juniors um, to come to regionalized camps um, to be taught basketball, to get opportunity for evaluation by NCA coaches, and to get some education on on life skills and what the educational process is like. How do you qualify to get a scholarship at a Division I school? And indeed, what's the NBA pre-draft process like if you're that talented? To give as much information so that families can make informed decisions as, as possible. And getting it
0: from firsthand sources. Exactly.
1: And not just us. This is done, be, being done in collaboration with USA Basketball, with the NBA, and with the Players Association. So we're all kind of aligned in educating uh, prospects and their families about what the reality of the world is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the NCA will fund that for these prospects and for one parent or guardian to attend as well and the education of them in the process also.
0: Where's the funding going to come for, for programs such as this, Dan?
1: It comes from, from the membership, uh, from the revenue that the NCAA generates, um, much of which, as you know, is, is derived from the Division I um, Men's Basketball Championship. And the, and the rights fees from our, our broadcast partners that, um, that you know, bring us March Madness every year. And so we are taking a small portion of that, not just with the youth development camp, but in all the commission's recommendations uh, to invest back in the game, to invest back in, in our mission in, at, at the NCAA in education and in, 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 in high-level athletics um, to hopefully provide a, a better future.
0: One of the other areas of concern that you had ex- heard expressed throughout the years, and certainly is something that the, the commission took a look on at, is the, the idea of um, college basketball players saying, I'm going to come out early, you know, I'm going to declare for the draft, for the NBA draft, and then not getting drafted. Mm-hmm. And there was, there was an impetus to take a look at that, mm-hmm. to see if there's a better way for that whole system. Uh, to be managed so that it 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 can preserve some opportunities for the student athletes. What what are what's the committee the commission recommending here, and what are you seeing now taking place as a consequence of that?
1: Yes, the commission's recommendation was very specific to allow for undrafted players, um, players that are testing the waters as underclassmen, go through the entire draft, are undrafted to have an opportunity to come back to school, and so. Um, with some help from the NBA and the Players Association to amend their collective bargaining agreement. Um, that will be a possibility in the future. What needs to change is that right now, if a prospect goes through the draft undrafted, they become a free agent automatically. Mm-hmm. And there is concern that, that a free agent playing college basketball could be called up by an NBA team at any time during the season. So we need the help of the NBA and the Players Association to change that rule, and and they seem open to doing so. Once that does happen, then Um, a a qualified number of underclassmen who are invited to the NBA combine um, and go through the the current pre-draft process would be able to go all the way through the NBA draft and, if undrafted, have a chance to come back to school within five days after the conclusion of the NBA draft.
0: What about the idea of getting some some advice from an agent, Mm -hmm. from somebody who's a professional in the business? And I know one of the things the NCAA has said we want to do is to provide more sources of valid information for young people. But the, the notion of dealing with an agent has, has always been a difficult one. What are we seeing in terms of suggestions about that?
1: Pretty significant seat changes as, as, as a result of the board's actions here in the last week, and that is that um, current student athletes in men's basketball who are testing the waters after the conclusion of their season um, and upon requesting an, an evaluation from the Undergraduate Advisory Committee of the NBA be able to engage with uh, formal engagement with a, with an agent to help them through that process, to help uh, advise them and their families about the possibilities of becoming a professional um, and and be able to accept uh, limited and reasonable uh, uh, reimbursement of expenses. Expenses. So that. you're not
0: talking about an agent saying, and by the way, here's $100,000. That'll take off the top of your contract. It's not that. It
1: correct. is not that. No, it's not. And could that happen someday? Possibly, I don't know. But mm-hmm. this is the kind of first step towards, you know, the engagement with agents that um, that the membership has really been reticent to, to consider in the past. Um, but I think why, that,
0: why do you think there's? You mentioned a sea change. I think that's yeah. a great term for it. These are some things that that in the past were almost don't go there conversations. Mm-hmm. The notion of getting advice from an agent, the notion of declaring and being able to say, all right, I didn't draft, get drafted, I'm coming back, which obviously would – that's going to create some concerns for coaches in mm-hmm. terms of their planning. But uh, why do you think the, the the membership is willing to step back and say, all right, we've got to look at this dramatically different from the way we've looked at it in the past?
1: A federal investigation. Yeah, it's... I mean, I think uh, – and I'm not trying to be cute. I do no. think that the crisis uh, – that was caused by the federal government looking into and, and charging people around the game uh, with, with crimes that, uh, as you noted earlier, that some feel like have been uh, understood to be part of, of the college basketball world for some time, uh, I think made everybody stand up and say, well, we got to take seriously some of the things we've thought about in the past but have never had the stomach to move forward with. And this crisis, I think, and I think it's a fair to use that word, at least as it related to this back in September when this all happened, and we can't forget that, you know, there was that kind of concern, has has compelled the membership to consider things that were discussed before but never acted upon.
0: Last question for you. Um, we could talk for hours. <laughs> but we'll, last question for this conversation. Um, one of the things also that the, the commission took a look at was the idea of, of infractions, enforcement who should be doing that, uh, what the consequences should be, and who should be subjected to those consequences. You know, I sat for a period of time on the Division I Committee on Infractions. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. What are we seeing now, recommendations coming out with regard to those areas?
1: Again, uh, not to overuse the word sea change, but I think this is maybe the most um, significant area of change coming from the Commission's recommendations. Um Things, as we noted, that you know have been considered and discussed uh, at a very high level for a long period of time, will now be reality. Um, a, a different um, uh, adjudication process, kind of independent adjudication process for the most complex and um, um, uh, fought-over cases um, in in our in our process. Uh, much more significant penalties for programs for coaches much more accountability all the way up to the highest ranking official at a university a president or CEO having to sign on that they are their university is compliant with NCA rules and is a an active participant in the follow-up if there are accusations brought forward and even as a lawyer you, you would know much better than I but even being able to use some evidence that previously the NCA enforcement staff and the fractions you know process couldn't consider and that is you know evidence that's been brought forward, for example, in the FBI investigation, can now be used as part of that um, the NCAA, NCA so it process.
0: Generated it itself, they can they can adapt, um, as you said, information that you know other commissions, prosecutors' information, which gives them access in, in, in a little bit more convenient fashion to
1: a lot of information. Yeah, without a doubt, and um, I think from the public and media standpoint, when that information is really public knowledge and is acceptable at some level was always kind of a disconnect that the ncaa process couldn't use that and so again i i do think that there's you know significant steps in the right direction um and and hopefully that will provide disincentive um you know for bad behavior and, and certainly incentive for good behavior and there's a lot of that going on and and we just need to kind of get that back on track
0: yeah as i said those of us who have been in the world know that the, the vast majority of student athletes are wonderful hard-working honest people uh, what you have to do is, is fight against this notion of, as you talked about before, the perception overtaking the reality here. Well, it's a, it is a it is a curious time <laughs> in the college basketball world. Uh, it's interesting how we've seen throughout history that sometimes you need a crisis yeah. to affect change, meaningful change. And it looks like that's happening here. Dan, it's always good to chat with you. I always feel like I learn a lot when I talk to you, even if I'm talking to a guy
1: from Dartmouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Great being uh, with you, Jack. Uh, really, this is a, a pleasure for me and a real uh, honor to to talk with you. So thank you. Uh,
0: My pleasure. Uh, We want to thank uh, once again Dan Gavitt, the NCAA Senior Vice President of Basketball for joining us today. That does it for this issue of the College Sports Insider. I'm Jack Ford. Thanks for joining us and we'll look forward to talking with you again real soon.